indulging it. What is the way we need to do that? We just need to starve it, right? And I'm still struggling with that at nighttime. I'm eating the right foods. I'm staying on the right diet. But boy, that starving after 8 or 9 o'clock, I'll find something that's legit, and I'll go, hmm, a few raisins or a few nuts or whatever. But uh, starve it is better than indulging in it. Number five, small compromises lead to great disasters. In other words, little sins lead to big sins. And um, it's amazing how we, we can get into stuff and think just a little bit will be okay. My friends are doing it. I want to spend time with them. And all of a sudden, we're places that we never expected to be, doing things that we never thought we would do. Today, number six, those who do not love the Lord will not help us serve the Lord. Those who do not love the Lord will not help us to serve the Lord. John 15, 19 says this, If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. Because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. That's pretty strong language. I, I'm one of those guys that I like to get along with everybody. You know, I, I do. And usually I do. Except when I do, don't know that I'm not. Right? But that's just my personality. And we have to realize that um, we are in the world to influence and encourage the world for Jesus. But when we spend too much time and time in the wrong ways with those that drag us down, boy, we're in trouble. So again, the principle, those who do not love the Lord will not help us to serve the Lord. Now, this principle not only affects my habits. In other words, uh, say, for example, I was struggling with, with um, oh, drinking too much. And I had an apartment right over a, a bar. You might want to think about that, get a clue that having an apartment right over the bar and you're struggling with alcohol is not going to help you too much. Maybe, maybe if you could find another place, it would be great. And if you can't find another place, find friends that are going to help keep you from going downstairs, right? But this principle not only affects our habits, but it affects... Uh, who we have relationships with. And one of the first areas, it's a no-brainer, is it affects who we marry. Okay? Um, I don't know how many times. Uh, I couldn't count the number of times I've talked to somebody and said, hey, I'm in love. And she's wonderful, or he's wonderful. And, and they start talking a little bit more, and I ask, well, what is their relationship with Jesus? Well, they don't know the Lord, but I'm sure they're going to come to know him, and it's just going to take some time. And I start saying, praying right then, Lord, help me to have the right words to say so that I don't condemn them, but I speak truth and say, you're in trouble. Because, you see, the principle simply is this. Those who do not love the Lord will not help us to serve the Lord, and if you have an unbelieving husband or wife and you are a believer yourself, you're not headed in the right direction. Simply that. Now, does God give us rules 
to box us in, to make us prisoners? No. God gives us guidelines and rules to give us freedom, to give us peace, to give us joy, to give us hope, to give us love, to give us power in him. That's what he wants for us. It's like when you tell your child, I don't want you to walk into the street, and your child says, oh, but you're limiting me. You go, wait a minute. I'm not limiting you. I'm saving your life. There's a great verse in 1 Corinthians 6.14 that speaks to this issue specifically in our relationships. And it's not just about marriage. This could be about business or whatever. It says this, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? That doesn't mean don't spend time with unbelievers, but it doesn't mean... But it does mean don't tie yourself together with them like two oxen who have a yoke on them and they're both pulling in the same direction. If you have a believer and an unbeliever, it's like taking two oxen and facing one this way and one this way and putting a yoke on them and telling them to go the same direction. Not going to happen. So this principle affects not only who we marry, but it affects who we do business with. And it also affects who we allow to influence or to have influence in our lives. By the way, this, this business one I've, it's very interesting. Have you heard the, the statement, it's almost easier to do business with a non-Christian than a Christian sometimes because Christians can really mess you up as far as uh, um, not being trustworthy. There are some that aren't. What an unfortunate thing to say. That's not the way we should be. And I'm glad that you aren't. But folks, um, if an unbeliever thinks that about a Christian, my goodness, um, that's a scary witness for the Lord. Be trustworthy. Spend time with people who are trustworthy. Spend time with people who love Jesus and are trustworthy. And if it's a Christian that you know is not trustworthy and not loving Jesus, you better be careful. Find someone who doesn't love Jesus and is trustworthy, and at least you can, you know, you just be careful in your relationships. Now, those who do not love the Lord will not help us serve the Lord, and this affects who we allow to have influence in our lives. Joshua 24:15 says this. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable. By the way, this is Joshua talking to the people after they've conquered the land. They've taken all these cities and they've conquered them and they're dividing the spoils together. This is just before Joshua dies. He's over I forget how old he was, 100 and something. But before he dies, he says, but if serving the Lord is undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Isn't it amazing how God gives us choices even after all of this triumph? 
and all of this taking of the land, the people still had to make a choice from a, on a day-to-day -day basis. Who will I serve? Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And when you get surrounded by those who influence you in a bad direction, you have trouble with that commitment, don't you? Or you don't even make that commitment. When we talk about God's warnings for us, people say to me, well, there are two, uh, these are some blanks on the second page. They're one, they're too restrictive. They take away my joy. They're punishing. They take away my freedom. They're cruel. They're hurtful. Why does God make me do this? I don't want to be limited. I want to be a free bird. Remember that song, Leonard Skinner, Free Bird? I read the words recently, and boy, there's no freedom there. Great guitar solo, but no freedom in that song. Restrictive, take away my joy. Punishing, take away my freedom. Cruel, hurtful. These folks, these are excuses coming from inside of a heart rebelling against God. The Bible says God's warnings keep me safe and bring me happiness. God's warnings keep me safe and bring me happiness. Now, I want to get into the Christmas story a little bit. One of those parts of the Christmas story that we won't talk about on Saturday or Sunday. But the Christmas story of the wise man in Matthew chapter 2 is a good example of God's warnings used for good. A good example of God's warnings used for good. Take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 2. I want you to look carefully at, as I read these verses at all the ways God protected those that he loved. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Do you know why Herod was disturbed? Irene? Yes. Herod was disturbed because he had been called the king of the Jews. In fact, he liked that title, king of the Jews. In fact, his father had been called the king of the Jews because his father had done a, a favor for uh, Julius Caesar, and Julius Caesar had given his father the authority over the Jewish nation, which he passed on to his son Herod. Herod was not a nice guy, but he did like that title king of the Jews. In fact, Herod even had his wife and his two children killed. And he was also a builder. And, and so 
one day he had them killed, and the next day he was building a tower in honor of them. He was not a stable man. So when it says that Herod was disturbed, Herod was disturbed. Okay? And he was called king of the Jews, and when he heard somebody else was called king of the Jews, and especially this little baby being born, he's worried. Well, the, the Magi who came from the east to Herod and told him that said, uh, well, we've heard that this baby was born in Bethlehem, in Judea. For this is what the prophet has written. Now, you realize that even these wise men saw what the Old Testament said. And they were from the east. They said in the Old Testament, it says, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, or Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Wait, go back to that for a second. You know, God is a straight shooter, even throughout the whole history. And here we have in the Old Testament this, this verse that says, for out of you will come a ruler who will do what? Rule? No. Who will shepherd? They never did understand Jesus, did they? He had all the power, but he was also a shepherd. He wasn't out to use his power for his own glory, but to shepherd us. I just hadn't caught that before. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Keep going. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. Right. You see the deceit in that phrase? Hey, I want you to find him because I want to worship him too. Well, Herod was disturbed and he was not going to go worship the Christ child. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. When the wise men, we're talking about guys who would be like knights in shining armor, you know, like, like pretty high muckety-muck from the east. Who did they come to worship when they came to the house? Was it Joseph and Mary? No, a little baby. So God was working in some way in the hearts of these guys who were from the east, who were noblemen, men of great affluence, to where all of a sudden, hi, dad and mom, but we want to get on our knees before your baby. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When I was little, I used to say gold, frankenstein, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. There's a sighting of God in action protecting these men, saying, don't go back to Herod. You can't trust him. He's disturbed. He wants to kill Jesus, and he's going to kill you too if you go back. 
So go back another way. God's protecting them, keeping them away from someone who's going to hurt them and not to help them. Keep going. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Another protection. Get up. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Is that it? Okay. Um, I actually saw the house where Joseph and Mary lived in Egypt, in Alexandria, Egypt. At least they think that's the house. And it's like this, this hole where you can look down into it and you go, is that a house? But that's where they say Joseph and Mary lived in Alexandria when God told them to go. Now, can you believe this? Here you have a young couple that are not only taken away from their home for a census where they have to go to Bethlehem. They go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. But all of a sudden, they have to go even further to Egypt. And why did they do that? Simply because God says, you need to do that so that Herod doesn't kill you. I want to protect you. I want to protect my son. You see, God is good at protecting us and taking care of us. Now, Joseph and Mary could have said, no, we don't want to go down there. We need to go back home to our home in uh, Nazareth, be with the people that love us and to show them our new little baby. Well, aren't you glad Joseph and Mary obeyed? Joseph was a what kind of a man? Righteous man. We don't know a lot about Joseph, but we know he was a righteous man. He did right things. He listened to God. He obeyed him. And that's all we really need to know about Joseph. God's warnings keep me safe and bring me happiness. So when we look at principle number six, when the Bible says those who do not love the Lord will not help us to serve the Lord, it doesn't mean to keep us away from people, but it's to point us in the direction of the right people so that we will be safe, so that we will be happy. Let's go back to those verses that we are working on together, and uh, let's say them together. Blessed, let's say it together. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. You realize that the book of Psalms, this whole long book of prayers to God, begins with the word blessed. And what does blessed mean? What? Happy. The book of Psalms begins with the word happy. When um, I was a year old and some friends gave us a little puppy, Cocker Spaniel puppy, the first word I said was happy. So we named Happy Happy. I had happy for 17 years, little Cocker Spaniel. Happy was cool, a wonderful dog. That was the first word that came out of my mouth. That's the first word that comes out of King David in describing his relationship with God and what it is like when we do 
right things, when we listen to what God has to say to us. Well, let's stand together, close in prayer, and I hope to see you Saturday night and maybe Sunday morning. And let's keep praying for each other this week. Dave, right? See your name? Is it Dave? Nice to meet you, man. It takes three or four times for me to get the name right, you know, but uh, thanks for coming this morning. Thank you. Father, thank you for protecting us. Thank you for the way that you give us choices so that we don't feel like slaves or we don't feel like robots. But you are always in the process of wanting us to be safe and wanting us to be happy. Lord, I ask your forgiveness for the many ways that I try to get away from that. I think that doing my own thing is going to give me that safety and happiness that that uh, the world keeps telling me about. Lord, I'm so sorry. But Lord, help us to be listening to you, obeying you, encouraging each other and growing so that we're getting right and we're staying right and we're seeing that kind of freedom in our lives that's going to make next year such a wonderful year for us because of you, not because of ourselves. Thank you again for your protection. Thank you for your protection for Joseph and Mary, for the wise men, for your baby Jesus, Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless you. Have a great day. Drive careful still. You got one more day of this stuff.